Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Luke chapter 19. Our passage is verse 11 to verse 27. Our message is entitled, Engage in Business Until I Come. Engage in business until I come. Well, I'm always the last one there to give you some extra time. You guys there yet? Okay. You guys got to talk back to me now. We're a talking church. You guys there yet? Okay, thank you. Verse 11, it begins. As they heard these things. Well, Well, what things? Well, listen, this is pointing us back to where we left off a a few weeks ago, where Jesus had this encounter with Lazarus. And so let's just back up a couple of verses to kind of set the context here. Take a look with me at verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9, it says, And Jesus said to him, that is Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Verse 10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is, listen, this was Jesus' mission statement for his life. He he said in another place that he was about his father's business. And so the business of the kingdom was about seeking and saving the lost. Let's continue. Verse 11 again. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to what? Appear immediately. And so listen, as we've seen throughout Luke, Jesus has been preaching the kingdom. The disciples have been anticipating the kingdom. And so they are on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They're getting super close. And so they're all thinking, you know what? The kingdom's coming. It is palpable in the air. They're like, they're getting ready. It's coming down, man. They're, they're, they are pumped and they think Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem and he's going to take out Rome and he's going to establish his good and perfect kingdom and it's going to be great. Well, Jesus knowing that is their anticipation and and him knowing that it's not going to come as immediately as they think it will come, but not how they think He tells them this parable in order to explain to them God's plan that, listen, he's going to leave for a while. And while he's gone, he's going to instruct them what they should be about, but he will return. And so he's going to leave, but he will come back and establish the kingdom that they're looking forward to. And so he instructs them in God's plan, but then he also is telling them how to conduct themselves in his absence. That is, what are we to be doing right now, right now, while we wait for Jesus? If, you, if you've asked that question this week, 
what am I supposed to be doing right now in the midst of this world and what's going on with my Lord? What, it, what, what would you say to me? What, what am I to be doing? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what we should be doing right now until he returns. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And so listen, Jesus is the nobleman in this parable. He is, he is the king. And he, he came the first time to initiate his kingdom. And so his kingdom has started, right? His kingdom is now in the sense that his kingdom is in us and it is working through us by his spirit and by his word, but it has not come in its full glory. I mean, Jesus is not here ruling on his throne from Jerusalem, you know, ruling over the nations and his enemies under his footstool, but it is, it is coming and in the meantime, it says, before it comes, Jesus will judge us for what we've done. Take a look again at, at verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. The church since its inception. The church, since it was established by Jesus and the disciples, has always, always lived with the eager anticipation of Jesus' return. Always lived with the sense of that Jesus could return at any moment. And so listen, um, that anticipation that posture, that revelation caused them to live differently. It caused them to live differently from everyone else around them. They, they preached the gospel. Listen, they were mocked for their faith. Hear me, friends. They were killed for standing for what was true. They didn't live like the rest of the world. They didn't love the things of this world. They emptied them themselves of this world, and they were living for another kingdom. Listen, they prioritized. They prioritized worshiping, praying, studying God's word together as believers, and then going out and preaching the gospel everywhere they went. Well, why? Because they weren't living for the things of this life. They were living for another kingdom. They were living in light of the fact that their king was coming back. They were doing what he wanted them to do, not what they wanted to do. It's interesting to me if if the church then, you know, lived with that sort of anticipation of Jesus' soon return, let me ask us, friends, how much more? <laughs> how much more should we like be like 
man, we should wake up because Jesus is coming back. I mean, do you see it? Do you see the signs of the fact that we're living in the last days? I mean, the global agenda is, is totally out in the open, is it not? I mean, it used to be conspiracy theories 20 years ago. It is front page news today. Those who are in power, those who desire to rule and to govern, all they talk about is the need for global governance. All they talk about is the need for global efforts and global control. All they talk about is a global currency that we need to go to this global digital Currency, what came out this past week or so is the, the Bitcoin or the Brit, but the Brit, what did you say? Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin, the Brit Bitcoin. So that is what's being established. And so my grandson will grow up in a cashless society. There will be a one world currency there. There will be a one world governance and that they, they think it is necessary. There's altruistic reasons. It's, it's necessary for, for social justice. It's necessary for equity across the world, for all resources. It's necessary for climate change. And listen, there are some sincere people who think they're doing good with those things. But the bottom line, ultimately what's really happening, and you guys are all smart enough to see this, ultimately what is happening, it is all those things are about power and control. It is about centralizing power and control. And so listen, this is why it's been so confusing during this pandemic, right? This is why the messaging has been so confusing because some are using this crisis to advance their agendas in order to have more centralized power and control. We see it rolling out now with uh, the whole vaccine mandates, right? So in Israel, they have a vaccine card now, and they call it um, the green badge. And on that card is, uh, is, is a QR code. You know what that QR, that funky-looking little square thing that you scan? You know what that is? You've seen those? They're on a lot of stuff. So it has a QR code on it. And so they, it has all their information on it. And, and so you have your green badge and, and you, you scan that in order to participate in, in Israel. And so in Israel's newspaper this week, there was a headline that said, listen, the government will not mandate vaccines, but everyone else will. And the subtitle was this. You will not be able to buy, sell, or trade without the vaccine. That's a secular newspaper speaking revelation. And you've heard that in so many words here in the United States as well, have you not? Russia has been working on the same sort of thing. They're looking to mandated in Russia, but what they've developed is that QR code is they have a tattoo and, and they put it on the inside of your wrist and they're using it right now. 
the problem with it is it only lasts about six months. But it, they literally tattoo it to your skin and has all your information on it, has all your health, and you can't go and do commerce or go to the restaurant or go to the game, whatever, without them scanning your wrist. And, and you know what? People love it. It's convenient. It's what they need to go do life. It's what they need so they can go to the beach. It's what they need so they can go to Walmart. It's what they need to get back to normal. Now, let me be clear. Please hear me. Every time I talk about this stuff, people always say the opposite of what I said. <laughs> the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. What did I say? It's not, but listen, it is pointing to the system that the mark of the beast will use. And we clearly see how easily people will buy into it, right? I mean, here's the deal. People used to make fun of the Bible. It's amazing to me. Uh, within my lifetime, I remember people mocking this idea of a global government and, oh, man, you know, I, that's never going to happen and some mark of the beast that everybody, you know, has to, that's nonsense. Really? We're seeing it unfold before our eyes. And so listen, I, I want to be clear. If you have the vaccine or you get the vaccine, you're not getting the mark of the beast. I just want us to see that we are moving ever, ever further towards setting up things for the Antichrist to take over and you see that everybody will have no problem with it. It will be for good reasons. It will be so your money can't be stolen. It will be so your ID can't be stolen. It will be so everybody can be vaccinated. It will be for all good reasons so everybody can get their money from the government and it will be equal, all this stuff. So we can control the climate, supposedly. I won't go there. There's a lot of places I could go. I'm restraining myself. <laughs> no, I, I seriously have, I seriously have prayed a lot over this message that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of issues that we could go into and um, I don't want to get off track. I just want you to see that the Bible says what is going to happen. And it's been mocked over and over again and yet over and over the Bible's prophecies are fulfilled over and over again. Let me give you another one. just happened this week. Anybody see where the conflict began between Iran and Israel this week? Did you see that in the news where they attacked the, the ship? Did you see that? Thousands of years ago, the prophet Ezekiel in verses 37 and 38 Talk about a war that will be between Gog and Magog that will go against Israel in the last days. Now, the interesting thing is this. There has never been an alliance between Russia and Iran. Magog and Gog is Russia and Iran. Never before been an alliance. And yet, as soon as Biden took office, Russia aggressively made an alliance with Iran, made an alliance with Syria. And this week, Iran started a conflict 
with Israel. Now listen, I'm not saying it's that war status yet, and it may start, and it may stop, but, but what I am saying is that alliance never existed before in history, and what I am saying is that alliance is going to come against Israel, and the Bible predicted it thousands of years ago in Ezekiel 37 and 38. What I want you to see is that God is in control and that he has revealed to us exactly what is going to happen. So listen, we don't have to be afraid. We get to be encouraged because listen, God is with us and for us in the meantime, and he is coming for us soon. We don't worry about the Antichrist. We are looking for Jesus Christ. He is coming for his bride. He is coming for his church. <laughs> History. History reveals the great revivals in America, in England, the great revivals throughout Europe always, always came with a great passion of anticipation of Jesus' soon return. When you have seen holiness and power and zeal grip the church of God, it's because the church has woken up to the reality that Jesus is coming soon and it causes them to act differently in this world. Verse 13. Jesus isn't done. Calling 10 of his servants. Now we're the servants in this story. Uh, that is, those of us who know Christ and are following Christ. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minus. Now, minus were, they, they were worth about three months' wages. But that's not Jesus' point. The point he's making here is that they were all given the same amount. They were all given an equal stewardship. And so what I want you to notice here, this is not the same parable as the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, Jesus talks about giving different gifts to us and different measures of gifts to us that will be held accountable differently because we have different measures of gifts. But here, Jesus is saying what he's giving here is universal to all of us. It is given equally to all of us. It's an equal stewardship that each of us has. Verse 13 again. Calling 10 of his servants, he, he gave them 10 minas and, and said to them, and, and here's the command. Engage. Now, I cannot think of a more relevant prophetic word from Jesus Christ to his church today in a pandemic culture that has disengaged so many than the command that he gives to us. Engage. Verse 13 again. 
engage in what? Business until I come. The king is gone for a while, and he's going to return. And now we're in this interim time, and so what do we do? Well, Jesus says, you do business. Well, what business? You do the king's business. Well, what's king's business? To seek and to save the lost. Listen, friends, we are to preach the gospel and we are to live out the gospel everywhere we go. This is to be who we are. This is to be what we do first and foremost. That is, we don't sit around and curse the darkness and go, hey, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't care. Jesus is coming for me. No. Jesus says, engage. He says, engage. As you wait, engage. As you wait for me, engage. As you wait for me, engage. Occupy until I come. Occupy until I return. Be faithful with the gospel until I come for you. Verse 14. But his citizens, that is, these weren't the king's servants. This was everybody else in his kingdom. That is the rest of the world. But his citizens, what? Hated him. Sent a delegation after him saying, oh, we don't want this man to reign over us. That is, they, they rejected their king. They, they rejected the Savior and the Lord. And so many people say that today. And so many people say, I, I, don't, I, I don't want Jesus reigning over me. That some people are nice rebels, right? Nice rebels say, you know, I'm okay with Jesus. I'm just not going to get crazy about it. I'm just not going to be one of those fanatics. You know, I'll, I'll serve him when I, when I want to, and I, I'll, I'll do things when I feel like it, you know, when, when, it, when it's convenient for me, when it, when it fits into my, my schedule. You know, I'll, I'll pick and choose what truths I like, you know, what I feel like I should respond to, what I, what I don't want to respond. What doesn't paint me into a corner as one of those narrow, weird, evangelical people, you know, that are, are caught in 2,000 years old, you know, and so, you know, I, I want to be part of the enlightened, and so, you know, I'll, I'll kind of pick and choose what, what I choose to believe, you know, not, I, you know, abortion and homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. I don't know about that. Or you know what? Headship in the home and in the church is God's design. Ooh, I don't know about that. That's not popular today. Oh, you know, two genders. 
You know, God created them, male and female. Doesn't matter how you feel, doesn't change that. That's the way it is. Well, I don't like that, man. That's a, that, that, that. That doesn't fit with where we're at today. So, you know, I don't know. I, I like the part of loving your neighbor and not judging. I, that stuff, I, I don't know. That's, I'm not sure that that applies today. So I, I'm engaged, sort of. I might show up every once in a while. I might serve every once in a while. I, I might engage once in a while. You can count on me, Maybe. Then you have, well, just the full-on rebels, right? You know, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm going to call the shots. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the determiner of truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. But I am the one who determines what is best for me. I... I'm not sure I believe in that whole Jesus thing. I'm certainly not going to surrender to some archaic book. I believe in science. You know, I I believe in science because I can see it, I can feel it. And, you know, science is always right. It never changes. You know, just just ask Dr. Fauci, right? I mean, (laughs) consistent. He's just been solid, solid. I'm kidding, of course. So now hear me. I'll back up after I said that. And I'll say this. There's nothing wrong with science. Nothing wrong with it. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with science. It's just one way of knowing. For example, you cannot prove love by science. And listen, science is a good thing. Science is a gift from God. Science exists because God is a God of order. And you know what? Christians believed that. They believed in a God of order, and therefore they looked for universal laws of physics and astronomy and chemistry. They created the sciences that we have today. It was believers who believed in the order of God that created the sciences we have today. It was believers who established the university system we have today. It was believers who created the hospital system today, and it is only today that we've kicked God out of that and claimed credit for ourselves. Only today do we pit faith against science. It, it, it didn't begin that way, nor, nor should it be that way. And so ultimately, this king, he, you know, he puts his servants in a hostile environment, Right? Not, not everybody was excited about the gospel then, and listen, not everybody's excited about the gospel now. But Jesus commands you and me. He commands you and me. His prophetic word to us. Listen, there's a lot of people speaking prophetic words today on YouTube and everything else. 
And I, do, are they speaking God's word? Well, not all of them, that's for sure, because they're contradicting each other. And second, I, I don't know. You, you got to know somebody. You got to know that they're under authority of a church. You got to know what's going on in their life. You got to know, are, are they, have they been right, you know, consistently? But this is what I do know with 100% certainty. 100% certainty. What is the prophetic word to the church today? Engage in business until I come. Absolute 100% prophetic word to you. This is the sure prophecy. Peter makes that argument, right? He's like, hey, you guys are all caught up in prophecy. We have the sure prophecy. We are to engage. We are to engage in his business until he comes. And listen, we are in a hostile environment. It's getting increasingly hostile. But we must remember God is still working. We must remember that God is still drawing people into himself. He is on a rescue mission. And the only reason he is waiting is he's trying to save everyone around us. And listen, not all will get saved right now. But we are to be a witness. Not all are going to respond. But listen, some will. And listen, here's the other thing. The seed that you plant after the church gets raptured, there's going to be another huge revival. And there's going to be a huge revival all because of the church's witness right now. When they see everybody gone, they're going to go, uh-oh, we blew it. But they're going to have to live through the tribulation. Many of them will have to be martyred. We must Stay engaged in Jesus' business until he comes. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they gained by doing business. Now, I want you to take note that the nobleman, the king, that his first interest, when he returns, his first interest is to go see what his servants did. His first interest is to go hold his servants accountable. His first interest is, hey, I want to know, were you faithful to me? And later on, he's going to take care of his enemies, but his, his first concern is us. Were you faithful to me? Did did you hear what I was saying? Did, did you see what I revealed to you? Were you living in light of what I called you to? Were you being faithful or were you asleep? Or were you just living like the rest of the world, blind, acting like this is all that there is? Verse 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina. I love that. Your mina. That is, it's not our intelligence. Thank God. It's not our smarts. It's not our skill. It's his power. It's his message. It's his mina. Amen? Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, 
because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Jesus has talked about this principle over and over again in Luke, and we've mentioned it several times in our study here in Luke, and the principle is this, you cannot outgive God. Friends, we cannot outgive God. He will always bless us more back now as well as in the future. And so don't let the prosperity preachers that say, if you give me $10, God will give you $10,000. I'm not saying that. I'm talking, I'm not saying he won't give you money. He won't bless you with that. I'm saying it's not limited to that. It's better than that. But what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about the future. He says, listen, if you engage in business now, if you are faithful to me now, listen, I'm going to entrust you with a greater trust in the future in my kingdom. I'm going to put you over 10 cities in my millennial kingdom. I'm going to put you over five cities in my millennial kingdom. And so specifically, what is he saying to us right now in this moment? Listen, if we are faithful to preach the gospel to the greater Minerva area, to live out the gospel, listen, everywhere we go, we are faithful. We invest our time, our talent, and treasure for his kingdom. He says, listen. When I come back, when I fully establish my kingdom and I'm ruling for Jerusalem, listen, you're going to rule and reign with me. I'm going to put you over this region and I'm going to put you over this region. I will give you greater trust and greater riches forevermore. That's what he is saying. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Now, Jesus isn't agreeing with his assessment of himself, but what he is saying is, yeah, nice excuse for putting it off. A great excuse for doing nothing. <laughs> if you really did fear, you would have done something. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit, reaping what I didn't sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. That is, listen, if you're not going to preach the gospel, you're not going to live the gospel, at least you could have gave money to the church, to the people who were promoting the gospel, and I would have given you a little interest for that effort. You could have at least invested in the kingdom that much. Verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, 
take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The servant knew he was accountable. But he just kept putting it off. And sadly, so, so many people are right here today. Some of us think we got more time. (laughs) We got more time to to get right with God. We know God. We know we held accountable, but yeah, we got time. Some of us think that God's a pushover somewhere in our head. Some of us are just too in love with the world. And so, listen, we're so involved with a lot of good things that we have no time or little time for the king's business. And so here's the sobering thing. Just like this servant, when Jesus returns, he will take what has been given to you and give it to somebody else. Verse 27. But as for these enemies, that is now Jesus is turning his attention from his followers, from his servants, and now he's given his attention to those who have rejected him. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here. And what? Slaughter them before me. Still think God's a pushover? Jesus came the first time in humility. He willingly came. He voluntarily came in humility in order to suffer and die for us on the cross because it required that. He paid the death penalty for our sin in order that we could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son in order that our sin could be washed away and he could put his righteousness on us and we could enter into his kingdom. It required the God of the universe to die on our behalf. And he willingly did it, not because he's a pushover, but because he's that loving. But also because he's loving and also because he's holy and also because he's just. Listen, he's coming a second time. And that second time, he's coming as a conquering warrior and he will slay all his enemies. Make no mistake, his servants will answer to him. His enemies will answer to him. And this is Jesus talking here. Jesus ends his teaching very dramatically, very seriously, by saying, your decision about me is a life or death decision. You better wake up. Let's pray.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.